I'm Imogen Ray Smith. I'm David Bank. I'm Brian Walsh, and this is Returns on Investment, a show about impact investing. On today's show, how should we judge private equity firms setting up impact-themed funds? For example, the Amazon is on fire, and some are blaming Blackstone. As recently reported in The Intercept, the $545 billion private equity behemoth Blackstone is an investor in Brazilian companies that may be contributing to the fires raging in the Amazon rainforest. David, why is this an impact story? Well, Brian, maybe I'll answer why is this an impact alpha story, because we did write this up uh, the other day. And the way we got into it was to say that Blackstone has recently announced that it's going to raise an impact fund. Now, this is a uh, a trend among the big private equity players, and they seem to be, you know, stirring up these billion-dollar impact funds. And the question comes up, you know, as you said, five hundred and forty-five billion dollars for for Blackstone, and you know, seventy-five billion for for TPG, and 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 the billion dollars sounds like a lot of money, but it's a small amount of their total portfolio. And so, shouldn't we be looking at the impact of their total portfolio, not just the impact of their self-defined impact fund. And so in Blackstone's case, as you said, they have a, a history. I mean, they have a, a portfolio and you can look at it. One of the one of the examples, as, as you mentioned, is this investment in this processing facility and transport facility in the Amazon. And they said actually that, that it, it was, you know, they thought of it as a carbon reduction project because it was going to make the transportation of these commodities out of the rainforest more fuel efficient. So it's actually going to reduce the carbon intensity of transporting, I think, soybeans and other things out of the rainforest. And the environmental groups said, yeah, but you're enabling the conversion of the land to soybean production from rainforest. And that is part of the reason for these fires and whatnot. And so that, in fact, if you look at the whole impact, it's not at all a, a positive environmental impact, even though you might, you know, arguably reduce the, you know, fuel use of the trucks or something. So um, uh, it, it just is an example of, I think we got to look at the whole portfolio. So Imogen, this quandary is at the heart of impact investing. And, you know, how do we hold firms like private equity firms accountable, not just for the impact funds that they launch to great fanfare, but for the total impact across their entire portfolio? So what's fair in love and war and rainforest fires? So the quandary here is, is you have these $545 billion Blackstone launching a billion-dollar impact fund. You know, TPG Rise is what now at like $6 billion for their impact fund. You know, Apollo is launching a billion-dollar impact fund. You, you have all of these massive private equity firms issuing what to the impact investing market are you know, significantly sized funds, but from the, the, the overall extent of the private equity market and the size of these firms are, you know, literally a drop in the ocean. Um, and yet you're seeing these funds sort of getting accolade and firms, sorry, getting accolade and praise for launching these funds and, and the impact industry, you know, being excited and institutional investors saying, you know, thank God, here's an institutional quality product I can invest in, woohoo. And yet, you know, so while, you know, this tiny little entity at these firms is doing impact, these very same firms are continuing to invest in stuff that is very environmentally destructive or, you know, engaging in policies or practices that are discriminatory or investing in stuff like, you know, the for-profit prison industry. And so by, on the one hand, by launching these funds, is it unfair to say, well, good job you're doing this good little fund, but look at all the terrible things you're doing? Or is that exactly what we should be doing and what does it mean to hold an entire firm accountable? 
does this come under the the heading of uh, all, no good deed goes unpunished, David? Because uh, I can see from a from the fund manager's perspective, they're saying, look, we're trying our best. We're launching these impact funds. We're trying to uh, come into the space. We're trying to bring our uh, incredible network and our incredible uh, capabilities to bear on solving some of these big challenges. Um, so come on, that's cut us a break. I mean, that's exactly what they want you to say, thing, right? And I kind of think it's bullshit. <laughs> David? <laughs> well, no, I mean, this is the flip side of what we think of as the actual theory of change in impact investing, which is that you get these firms to commit themselves to certain guidelines, whether they're environmental, social governance um, investing or impact investing guidelines of various sorts or, you know, monitoring their climate intensity. And basically that the logic of the disclosures and the metrics and the reporting is that it gradually, you know, has to take in ever greater parts of the of their portfolios and also of the broader financial markets. So it is no good deed goes unpunished in the sense that because they've held themselves up as an impact firm, because they say they're doing ESG investing, um, because they've signed on to, you know, uh, you know, supporting the Paris Climate Accords or, or whatever, that they actually hold themselves up to greater scrutiny because they themselves have set themselves up for that. And so one implication of that may be why would any firm ever you know make any kind of impact commitment at all because all they're going to get for it is grief <laughs> from when they don't when they don't live up to it and in fact you know i'm sure they're as we've said i think before on these on these podcasts i think their general counsels and others probably tell them don't do that for exactly that reason well, th is this is this a case of the arsonist make the best firefighters uh so to speak. That's what they would say, right? I mean, again, if you remember, that was like Bono's whole like Davos pitch around TBG Rise that hey, everyone else has sucked at this, but these guys are assholes, so they're gonna be they're gonna be able to do it well. And I mean, look, it is true that like the private, you know, the top private equity firms. I think he used a different expletive. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I was like, I, I think I might be using up my swearing quota for today's podcast. Um, but it's true that the, the top private equity firms are the top private equity firms for a reason, right? And that they're good. And that there is a lot to be said for like having talented investment professionals do impact investing, particularly when you can contrast that with sort of, you know, particularly some of the early market entries to impact that didn't necessarily have a financial background. I, I think there's a lot to be said, not just to, to understanding the capital markets and understanding how finance works, but also to having the networks and the power in place to get stuff done. And that really matters in private markets where access to deals is key. The, the problem is twofold. One, you know, is that really what is happening here and is, is, is the only way forward and the only way to be successful to invest with those bold-faced names because they're the only ones who can do it? And two, like, they really want to have their cake and eat it, right? That they, if, if, if we're going to, you know, particularly for climate change, if we're going to address climate change at the rate it needs to be addressed and within the time frame that we have available to us, we need to start decapitalizing the sort of the fossil fuel system. And you have an entire financial services industry. You, know, you have the Wall Street, private equity. You, know, you have an entire industry that is set up, you know, banks as well, to fund the fossil fuel system. So it's not just being churlish to be like, hey, look what you're doing with the left hand while your right hand is bur burning down the Amazon it materially matters. And I think that it's therefore fair to say to these firms, yeah, it's not enough to get like a pat on the back for an impact fund and a nice, you know, corporate responsibility report. 
you actually need to start making business decisions that are meaningful. There needs to be an enabling environment, which is effectively, you know, government and policy that directs the investment, as you said, exactly, Imogen, away from environmentally destructive investments and towards environmentally, you know, regenerative or at least sustainable ones. And then the mechanisms that private equity uses to fund projects and whatnot are hugely useful in that new world. But they, but the, but the direction of travel has to be different than, you know, it can't just be say, oh, we want you to do better deals. You know, we want, you know, we, it, it needs to be like the economy, the, the incentives, the, the returns have to be pointing them in the direction of doing well, and those kind that's of that's the deals. point, right? Like we need, we currently still exist in a fossil fuel economy and we need to change to a renewable economy. And how do we make that shift? And Unfortunately, right now, our capital market system is still funding the fossil fuel economy. And, you know, I think this also speaks to when you were pointing out that, you know, Blackstone is saying, no, this is actually an ESG friendly investment. Like that is also disturbing because we're allowing these firms to define what is and is not, you know, a positive impact or a positive ESG fund. So they get to tick the ESG bucket. So a bunch of European institutional investors will invest with them and they don't have to worry about actually doing anything differently. So I think it'd be useful to separate the two levels of this. One is, as we've been saying, is what is the impact of a particular project or venture or investment? And that has to be sorted out by, you know, some holistic analysis of all the you know, all of the impacts, but also the unintended consequences and, you know, you know, on people and planet on, on all those kind of things. So that's a big piece of work. A lot of people have done some work on it, you know, and, and, and that's underway. And then we're talking about even a, a level up from that, which is total portfolio uh, impact of these private equity firms. And then, you know, the level that you raised, Imogen, is, you know, general uh, financial market directionality, where the drivers of the economy more broadly are. And so, you know, let's take them each in, in a piece, because I think most of impact investing has been focused on the deal level or the venture level. You know, what is the impact of this particular investment? And we're saying, I think, that there's something that's, uh, you know, that we're now at the next yeah, stage. Yeah, I think, Imogen, uh, you've made this point on this podcast before that uh, impact investing will really scale if people realize that they can make a ton of money in it. And I think you might have had a another uh, modifier on that ton of money, uh, but I don't want to curse in case my mother is listening to this podcast. Uh, and and that that's really what we need to scale this is for people to, to be able to demonstrate that you can make a lot of money by doing impact. And I, I think that, that there's a key insight there is that people respond to incentives. And, and right now the market uh, allows people to have the incentive to make a ton of money in carbon intensive industries. And, and I think one of the, the ideas of impact is, and impact investing is that, well, if we have enough investors or asset owners putting pressure uh, and putting uh, aligning incentives with their asset managers to invest in a way that uh, addresses some of these issues that will will uh, will get to, to these great outcomes and I think that you're making the point that you know we can wait uh, probably until it's too late for uh, the incentives coming from investors making demands of asset uh, managers it's, it's, it's going to take too long that we need to have the government come in place and put in place a new regulatory framework uh, that then allows people to react rationally and respond to the market forces as they see them. 
I think David was making the point about government incentives. I, I think that you are right, obviously, that people respond to incentives. The reason that all these private equity firms are coming out with these impact funds is because investors are demanding it, right? So it's investor demand for impact. And there's also this investor demand for ESG, right? And this is one of those cases where I think you want to split the two. So yes, it matters that they're launching an impact fund at the same time that their investments are continuing to burn down the Amazon. But they're also in a bit of a bind because they're being asked to have ESG-friendly strategies across the board. And they don't want to piss off, as I say, particularly like the large European pension funds, by doing stuff that doesn't tick an ESG-friendly box. So that is sort of in this case, kind of looks, appears to be sort of forcing them to pretzel themselves into saying, oh, look, this Brazilian investment is a good ESG investment, even when it might not necessarily be so. So you're seeing these large private equity managers respond to the sort of UN principles of responsible investment crowd and the sort of impact investment demand crowd. And from, from an institutional standpoint, they're like, oh my God, thank God, there are some institutional investments we can make. Yay. You know, let's invest in Apollo. Let's invest in KKR. Let's invest in Blackstone. And you can kind of see that as being good in that it's an indicator that these things are on sort of investor ra- investors' radars, that private equity firms are having to pay attention to them. The thing that's bad is that, yeah, they don't see it as really making money. They see it as like a box that they have to tick, a marketing opportunity and they're not willing to give up a seemingly good investment idea because it has a bad impact. Unless it's going to significantly either embarrass them in the sort of court of public opinion, if it's going to re- land them in legal trouble, if it's going to run crosswise, as you say, of other investors and LPs are going to get, you know, there are sort of, you know, corrective uh, pressures that, keep everybody in line and the fr- and frankly just to the point earlier point the more firms commit themselves to measurement the more they commit themselves to standards and taxonomies and certifications and whatnot the more that you have a place to stand to hold them accountable so the process at some level is working like like th- this very discussion is the process that 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 these firms are right, going but through, is, like, but, you but know, the, how to m- me, it doesn't make sense. Then, from the, the these funds, why would a five hundred and forty-five billion dollar fund set up launch a one billion dollar fund that's going to open them up to closer scrutiny? But I don't, across I don't understand like billion. why you think they shouldn't have been held up to scrutiny anyway, right? Like, I think it's, I think it's a sort of the wrong way of looking at it to be like, well, I wasn't going to judge Blackstone, but now they've got an impact fund; it's open season, right? Like. They're all taking investment. They're all taking investment capital. They're all contributing to the capital markets. They're all taking sort of you know public pension money, sovereign wealth money, university endowment money. It, it, we should be scrutinizing them full stop. Their investors are asking for this. Like if yeah, it's not because they're launching an impact fund. It's because they're having an impact on the the world, right? That's why yeah. we should be looking at them. Right. And so the the famous bank robber Willie Sutton, when asked uh, why does he uh, why does he rob banks? And he said, because that's where the money is. And it's, why are we scrutinizing these these enormous asset managers? It's because that's where the money is. And that's and they're, they're yeah. having enormous amount of impact with their money uh, that they're managing. And so let's take a look across their portfolio and not just that. But I think, so I think the bigger danger here is that, uh, ironically, I think by sort of the large private equity firms becoming sort of like ESG literate, as it were, the, the bigger danger is, is that, you know, 
it allows them to continue doing business as usual, but claiming that they're also doing good when, when in fact, then they're not necessarily right. I, I think that, you know, they it, again, this is this is always the problem of sort of, you know, impact washing or ESG washing that like you say you're doing all this wonderful stuff while really doing terrible things. Right. And David, that gets to your question about who gets to certify or even define the impact that they're having. Well, yeah, but I think in some sense, that's the easy case. I mean, you're, 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 you're investing in a venture and you say it has positive impact, but in fact, it has negative impact. And, you know, you're called out on that. And that's kind of, you know, simple, you know, analysis at some level. More difficult analysis is, you know, you, as we've said, you've got the billion dollar impact fund um, and you've got the $545 billion overall portfolio or, or, or what have you. And that is you know, is a, is a more interesting question. It's a more difficult question, right? Um, to your ESG point, for example, um, we've, we've made this case, we've made this point in the, in the Impact Alpha many times, which is, you know, the, the, the conventional wisdom or the emerging conventional wisdom is, you know, ESG is risk reduction um, uh, for, for your portfolio because, you know, well-managed firms with, you know, good supply chains and, and you know, cost-cutting and, you know, energy, efficient energy use, um, you know, better, you know, better, better investments across the board. And then you say to these big asset managers, well, what percentage of your funds are, you know, in ESG, uh, you know, have, have taken ESG into consideration? And they say, oh, you know, 5%. You say, well, but you said it was risk reduction. So are you, what about the other 95%? So what we're really talking about here is saying, what about all the rest? Um, and it's, you know, it's across asset management, it's across private equity, it's across obviously individual investors own portfolios. Um, you know, I think people are now getting to the point where it's basically fair game to say, you know, what about the total impact of your, all of your holdings, all of your operations? I don't, I also, I mean, I think you need to go further than that and also look at the companies themselves, right? So, you know, when I do due diligence on an ESG, on, on a fund, I'll look at the impact of and the sort of ESG profile of the strategy and the investment opportunity. And then I'll also look at the profile of the company and the management, right? And say, you know, so so stuff like executive compensation, right? You know, does it matter, for example, that Blackstone senior executives make an enormous amount of money? Does, does the asymmetry of wealth in the private equity industry matter? And I would argue that like it does, right? So it's, you know, and do, you know, do the values of a company matter? I mean, again, think about it. Goldman Sachs, that's, that, that used to be Goldman Sachs' whole thing. Like, you know, they had principles. The whole vampire squid phenomenon was about them in the build-up 2008, sort of the post-IPO Goldman, no longer having those principles. And so, you know, I, I think that we need to scrutinize the companies that we invest with much more broadly and much more diligently, not because, you know, we're being the morality police, but because as investors, these issues matter. This is sort of the impact of, of the impact investing movement is that now all of these questions are basically up for grabs. And now there's a kind of framework or taxonomy, ways of thinking about exactly the kinds of things that Imogen said. I mean, the way you do due diligence now and the way that these private equity firms do due diligence and hopefully more so in the future is fundamentally different than it was several years ago. And that actually is, in, that in itself is the advance. So now everybody's, there's a lot of cleanup work to be done, obviously, in all these funds. But in fact, you know, the, the kind of questions and the 
things that people are being held to and firms are being held to and funds are being held to is different. And that's a that's a that's an advance. Well, it sounds like you two are in violent agreement and that sounds like a good place to stop. Uh, so that's going to do it for this episode of Returns on Investment. Thank you, Imogen Rose Smith. Thank you. And thank you, David Bank. Thank you, too, as always. And special thanks to our technical producer, Isaac Silk. This podcast has been a production of Impact Alpha, providing news and insights for those working to build an inclusive and prosperous future. Find us at impactalpha.com and on Twitter at Impact Alpha. From New York, I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact at the fintech company LiquidNet. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in some sense of the word next time. Thank you.